and welcome back to another episode of the Flight School Pod. I am your host, Turner Medlicott, joined today by Jonah Lossie and Adrian Walker. We are we are about to bust up the gut trying to keep this together, which is the best way to start a pod. Uh, but before we get to the the craziness that is uh, the the NBA playoffs and the basketball world as a whole right now, and uh, before Adrian falls out of his chair uh, laughing, how are y'all doing? And I'll start with Jonah. You know, I'm actually doing pretty well. It's been a nice day at work. I went for a hike afterwards and uh, yeah, it was a really lovely day overall. I just mad shouts out to everybody I got to hang out with today because they were uh, all phenomenal. How about how about you, Adrian? I'm I'm doing good. Um, it was <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a long day, um, but we're here now. It's already been a good time <laughs> for the first <laughs> twenty <laughs> for the first twenty minutes or so um as we've as we've just been cutting up prior to the podcast start but i am ready to talk about nba if we can actually hold ourselves together to talk about it jonah's falling out of his chair so you know talking over his blinds uh but that's probably the reaction that you had last night adrian when you were watching that blazers nuggets game you know what that was actually a good segue i'll give it to you i'm so proud of you that's (laughs) That's my, that that's my top one good segue. So that's your top wait, three. I I really I really appreciate it, but uh, in all seriousness, that was probably no, that was definitely the game of the playoffs. Um, and as we'll get into, most definitely one of the best playoff performances of all time by Damian Lillard, fifty-five points, most three-pointers made in a playoff game by a single player in NBA history with 13 scored those 55 points on 24 shot attempts um I can't even speak to uh to what else he did oh he you know sent the game to overtime and double overtime with clutch shots uh the absolutely uh Damian Lillard highlight game of his career and they still lost that game to the Nuggets how, what's how, crazy how, is what's crazy is not only I'll let Adrian go in, but that's not I don't even know if it is his best game. Like it is his best game on this stage, probably, but like I distinctly remember after his all-star sub when he dropped 50 and threw down a couple one-handed tomahawk dunks and like was hanging on the rim and all sorts of crap. Like this dude is one of the best, like not only clutch performers, but shut you up performers. I in NBA history, like let alone just like modern era, like this dude shuts people up more than I've ever seen. And he's earned my respect to the moon and back, honestly. But I'll let Adrian talk about the game itself. But just from what I've seen of Dame, I can't talk enough about that guy. Well, I'll follow that up with I was a recipient of the first, like, well, I guess it's not even the first Damian Lillard real shot his first shot was against the Houston Rockets back in what like 2013 yeah yeah, whenever whenever um LaMarcus Aldridge was still on the Blazers and and his next big shot everyone knows was against OKC when he sent him home waved him by um I was the recipient of that and 
I've liked I liked Damian Lillard prior, and I still like Damian Lillard now. You just you can't not like Damian Lillard. Um, in this game, I don't think the only other player I've ever seen hit as many stupid shots in a row is Steph Curry. Um, I I honestly think. If Steph Curry did not exist, we'd be considering Damian Lillard maybe the best shooter of all time. Um, based on, yeah, you can show me. The, it doesn't bother me as much now, Jonah. It's showing me the clip of Dame following the OKC loss. I'm past it. Paul George is not uh, the greatest playoff performer, if if we're being honest with ourselves. Anyways, um, I genuinely think there would be an argument. There would be a case for Damian Lillard as the best shooter of all time um, if Damian, if Steph Curry didn't exist. I genuinely think that's the case. Now, Steph Curry changed the game to make it so that Damian Lillard extended his range. I'm not saying that Damian Lillard would be the same player if Steph Curry did not exist, but in the hypothetical that he's playing the same way he's playing now and Steph Curry didn't exist, I think that argument could be valid. Now, I, the, I would be fascinated to... Just on building on top of that point, I'm just fascinated to see would he because it was not simultaneous. It was a couple of years after because Steph started pulling from 30, like in I don't know 2011, 2012. That's when he really started to do it, and then he won his MVP a couple of years after that. But Dame was just a little younger, really, and yep. it was a very similar career pro- progression. Steph had a few extra tweaks to his game. Um, that made him a little more dominant, but it, it sucks because I I have to give credit to Steph Curry because he's the first to do it, and I think it gave Dame the green light is what it really did because let's be honest, and I'll get to this point after your next one, but I just want to lay the foundation that maybe you can talk on too is I don't like Portland. I like Portland a lot, and I have for a while, but I'm actually getting to the point where I really hate that franchise because they have ruined – in my mind, the second best point guard of the modern era, almost, um, of this score first point guard era. Steph Curry is clearly number one, but if Dame had the proper cast around him, he probably would have gotten a lot of those flowers that Steph got. And, dude, could you imagine if Dame had a true number two or even a number three? Because CJ's great, but they're a little redundant. I'm just... I'm very disappointed in how his career is going to pan out because I, I said it last night on Twitter. What makes me so so mad is that Dame Lillard is never going to sniff a championship. Nope. And he has performances like that last night. Makes me a little sick, honestly. And yeah, as someone, let, let me let me follow let me follow that up real quick, Turner, just because I actually want to talk about the game before sure, we sure. just keep giving Dame Lillard. You know, he's just amazing. Um, I'm mad. <laughs> the crazy thing about last night is we've seen great Dame Lillard performances in the past. I don't think I've ever seen Damian Lillard carry his team in such a way. Like we've seen in the past where like LeBron will carry his team to the finals. Like he's had some like crazy games where he literally puts the team on his back and does everything to get to get his team to a victory. And I think that's part of the reason why we've viewed LeBron as the best player, like of his, not only of his generation, but like every single year 
just like, you know, when the playoffs come around, LeBron's going to be a different animal. It's the same way now, I feel like, with Damian Lillard. As good as he is in the regular season, whenever the playoffs come around, he's a different animal. What I saw last night is I don't know if I've seen personally a better shooting performance in a playoff game, albeit Steph, albeit Clay. Um, I mean, game six Clay against OKC was incredible, but I. I genuinely, I don't know if I've seen that great of a performance that's ended up in a loss. Um, and, and to bounce off of Jonah's point, that's, that's a shame because I've, I got out of my, not only out of my seat, I think I was in my bed actually, uh, but I, I was just watching the game from my bed and I think I got up out of bed. This is like 1 a.m. in the morning, like five straight times because <laughs> because Dame's just he's hitting these turnaround threes from like 35 and you're just like how in the world can you even put a shot in the basket like not looking prior to like this half second before you put it up I mean he had Austin Rivers literally praising a higher power yeah. uh after he missed one shot that is that's a, a level that very few players have ever gotten to. Um, and and it, as Jonah was talking, or as Jonah was saying, it is a shame that the Blazers, as a franchise and as a currently constructed team, aren't good enough to support him long enough in a playoff run to get him at least to the conference finals and be competitive. Exactly. And as someone who earlier in the year was very heavy on the, Hey, free Brad Beal train. I can't not feel the same way about Dame Lillard. The fact that we're probably never going to see what he could do and what kind of performances he could put up in an NBA final series is a damn shame. Like the fact that we're not going to get that stinks. And yeah, they still have a chance to turn it around this year, but I mean, it's going to be really hard for that Blazers team to come back from the disappointment of losing that double overtime game last night, let alone get past the Suns or, or the Lakers, uh, probably the Suns. But that supporting cast was absolutely awful, and not just on the offensive end. Like, do y'all know what Ennis Cantor's uh, and Rondé Hollis Jefferson's like defensive rating were for that game? I mean, if you bring up Ennis Cantor in defense, it already is it 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 doesn't work. Ennis <laughs> Cantor's was one sixty one point five, and Hollis Jefferson's was one seventy eight point nine. For people who don't know what defensive rating is, like that's. I don't think Grande Hollis Jefferson got that many minutes though, so I think his rating might be a bit bloated. Okay, but but. But Cantor, who had to come in for for Nurkic, who who fouled out, Nurkic's defensive rating for perspective was one twelve. That's like a fifty point, and and defensive rating, if I'm not mistaken, equates to how many you know points uh, lower or higher um, you're allowing as a defensive player. And obviously, Dame had the offense to to carry them through overtime, but he got no help all around offensively or de defensively, but mostly defensively in that overtime. And that's, 
infuriating. If your dude is balling out and saving your butt like that, you take care of him on the other end so he can continue to do that. And I mean, you could just, just take so it like the Orlando Magic socials, and you could just think the higher defense, uh, the higher the defensive rating, the better. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Um, one thing I wanted to add. One thing before we move on on to uh, Adrian is just kind of I wasn't all transparency. I wasn't able to watch the game because I'm an old man and I get up at five thirty. Um, but uh, I would say from what I've witnessed just in highlights and shooting performances like that are always more impressive live because it's easy to see like you can pull up Steph every 402 threes he hit in his second MVP and you just get numb to it but when you're watching someone do it live it's kind of unreal because you're like yeah give him the ball and shoot it and that doesn't actually work like that in real life but I would say that is the greatest shooting performance in it in NBA playoff history, because not only sure you mentioned the one that I immediately think of is Clay's 11 threes against OKC game six to keep them alive. Yep. <laughs> um, that's, as you mentioned, that's, that's easy. That's I ought but the thing is that was a pure shooters performance. He dribbled what, like 27 times in that game or something, like, you know, something crazy. Yeah. What, why, why is Steph the best shooter of all time? Is it because he has the highest three point percentage? No, that still belongs to Steve Kerr. It's because he can dribble around four people, run away from difficulty. Yeah, exactly. I have never seen buzzer beaters so casually hit at that degree of difficulty multiple times. And like all game, he had someone draped all over him, if not two. And the fact that he was able to do that in a playoff game, and if they won, could have swung the balance of the Western Conference playoffs. (laughs) Like it's it's unreal. And what pains me is that people are going to forget pretty quickly because they always do. He's he, They lost. And you know what? After that, they're probably going to lose the series. Um, it sucks, but I'll always remember that as probably the greatest playoff shooting performance. 12 of 17 from three is... Yep. <laughs> I, I, I want to bring up... Yeah, I want to bring up one more point. Just, just to really put it into perspective. Damian Lillard's performance was so great last night that it it superseded Nikola Jokic having about an hour straight worth of perfect decision making. He didn't make one mistake for about an hour's worth of game time. Like that is <laughs> that's incredible. The dude put up like 38, 11, and 8, I think, off the top of my head. Um and I mean, his performance was great, and he carried the Nuggets to the win, um, or helped carry the Nuggets to the win. Oh, you mean but, you mean Jokic? Yeah, I said Jokic. Oh, well, anyways, I, I can't hear anyway. <laughs> yeah, anyways, um, yeah, Jokic's uh, performance was surreal, and it just didn't matter because of how supernova Dame was last night, and that's. That's a level of, of superstar that you very rarely come across when you have the MVP of the league putting up one of his better performances and it just doesn't matter. That's that's incredible performance. I, I couldn't have said it better myself, um, but to bring it on to a different level of, of superstar performances, 
um, on an incredible level in a different direction. Um, yeah, you, you flopped that one hard. <laughs> I was trying. I was trying. I had my you, good one earlier. You got to balance it. it out. No, you had it. You just didn't go. You just. Yep. You're right. I try. I put too you, many you words. Kept stumbling. You're, you're right. You're you right. Put on your turn signal, but you didn't turn. Like what? <laughs> uh, what I what I'm trying to get to is the fact that the Lakers' performance last night um, was, to be very blunt, the worst playoff performance by a Lakers team that I've seen in my in my life. Um, and James Worthy said the same. So you know, if James Worthy saying that, it was pretty bad. Um, I would say it's due to expect expectation, but we all saw those post Kobe years for a bit. Like, but that yeah, but those post Kobe years did not have play. I said playoff game. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, Yeah, no, post Kobe years were some horrendous Laker basketball. But as far as Lakers in the playoffs, this this was the most disappointing game I've ever I've ever seen. What you're saying is this team could really use Jordan Farmar. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I balled out with that dude in 2K09 for for the Wii. <laughs> but that game, if if you hadn't heard, um, saw a pretty disappointing first half performance by LeBron, uh, who was sort of tasked with taking you know the team on his shoulders with AD being out. Um, and uh, that certainly did not happen. Credit the Suns for playing some pretty excellent defense on him to not let him get into any sort of rhythm, crowding the paint, um, and daring the Lakers' other teammates to hit open threes, which none of them seemed to want to do. Um, KCP and Dennis Schroeder, two of the Lakers' core starters, both ended the game with zero points. Um KCP was coming off an injury, didn't play in the second half. What was more disappointing was Dennis Schroeder. Um, my man played 26 minutes and didn't score a single point. Um, I don't want to entirely slander him, but my man was over here demanding a $100 million contract um, halfway through the year from the Lakers, and you you can't not score any points in a playoff game when you're considered the like the third option, the third star, and on that night, I was I was about to say that's true, but at the same time, weren't you lauding him as the third most important player on this team? Exactly. No, and that's what I'm saying. He yeah. is, and yet that's the kind of performances that we we got from him. Um, and in a game where you need people to step up, the Lakers got the exact opposite. Um, and, uh, you know, LeBron could have had 50 in that game and it still wouldn't have mattered uh, because nobody else seemed to want to score points or do anything um, on the offense or defensive side. Um, but all, I, would, all I, be- I, I have a raised hand to show to go ahead and then. I was just I was actually going to ask Adrian a question. You're a fan of OKC. You, you're used to terrible basketball. Yeah. Um, how do you have. Well, how how do you think it feels for Turner that he had four players that were in double digit minutes that didn't score? Um, you know, I I honestly I think last night I I'm not going I I will not try to say that I'm pinning this on LeBron. 
Um, but I think no, last night, last night was the first time that I realized that LeBron James is not the LeBron James of old. Like he genuinely is not the same guy. Absolutely um, not. Because if LeBron was was still what we expect him to be, he would have put the team on his shoulders after the first quarter and gotten them back in the game. But instead, he continued to play the facilitator role um, because he knew that he couldn't get to his spots um, and, and he couldn't produce the way that we've expected LeBron James to produce in the past. Um, so I, I think obviously this is more on the Lakers roster as a whole and especially the role players for not hitting open shots. I mean, a lot of open shots were missed. Um, but last night was the first time that I, I genuinely realized I was like, this is not the LeBron that we know. Um, mm -hmm. and it's, we're not going to see him again, probably. Um, the, the LeBron James, it's able to put a team on his shoulders and, and, put up 45 and carry them to at least a competitive performance, if not a win. Um, what, that, what that's what spoke to me last night. What infuriated me uh, sticking with LeBron is uh, about his performance was, was the fact that before the game, they asked him, you know, how, how do you feel going into this game, not having Anthony Davis? Um, and he said something along the lines of, uh, you know, I've done this before. My shoulders are are wide, and yeah, like of course LeBron's gonna have that confidence in himself. But to come into that game saying that, knowing you have to be the guy, you have to take it to the Suns and show them that you're still the best player on the planet, and you have seven points in the first half. Like I was just, you know, I wouldn't have cared if. LeBron was just steamrolling in the paint and, and he, you know, missed a, a layup. I wanted that energy from him and we never got that. And that might be because he's a 36 year old basketball player coming off of it. The biggest injury or length of time missed in, in his career. And he's just doesn't have that ability anymore. Um, you know, it speaks to me more than just that aspect of not being able to carry the team is a simple statistic which you know statistics can be like, skewed at any point but looking at his stat line 31 minutes the team is fully on his back no anthony davis dennis schroeder is being horrendous what is lebron james one of probably the most physically dominant basketball player other than maybe shaquille o'neal but in terms of especially a wing player ever driver passer my man had no free throw attempts how is that possible? I can't remember the last time LeBron had no free throw attempts. Like, he's not the best free throw shooter, so I'm sure he tries to avoid it at times. But, bud, like, that's that's not good. That's a sign of injury. That's a sign of not wanting to be as physically assertive. And in a game which is a decisive one, I mean, it's not the end. I, I would easily see the Lakers pulling out 6-7. and seven. I, I mean, I could see that. I hope they don't, as you know, but like, I think they could and, but not if he doesn't get in the paint, if he doesn't actually drive. And that just shows a, 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 a lack of decisiveness and assertiveness, which I've never witnessed in his entire career as probably the most physically aggressive wing player in the history of this ball of, of this, of this, of this sport. I mean, it, that's what I, he does. I've got to say outside of the bubble, the most recent, 
playoff performance before that was his 51 points in game one of the 2018 NBA finals where he absolutely carried, carried that entire Cavs team on his back and might've even won them game one had J.R. Smith not been J.R. Smith. And uh, the difference between that, I know that's three years ago, but the difference between that to the bubble to now is, is pretty astonishing. Um, But as far as the Lakers in this series go, um, I think it goes back to what Adrian said at the start of these playoffs. The Lakers are going to go as far as AD take them, takes them because this series has literally been predicated on AD having good games or AD being in the game. Yep. <laughs> game one, game one, AD played absolutely terrible and they lost. Games two and three, AD played pretty great and they won. Game, uh, game four. AD played not super great, but the Lakers were only down by four at halftime. AD was hurt in the first half, doesn't play the second half. Um, Lakers kind of get blown out in the second half of game four, and we just saw what happened in game five. Um, So I hate to say it, but if AD is not playing in game six, it's a wrap. It's, it's, It's a wrap, especially after what we saw from LeBron last night. Now he might do his LeBron thing and get all you know pissy and and come back but i think it's as simple as does ad play in game six and does he play at a high level you know is he at least playing at 80 or 90 percent because if not it's it's the Suns are too good and lebron is is too old and that's not a phrase that i thought i would be saying uh before this series started but jonah you you had something to say yeah no my issue is that um you're making me agree with you for one, which is always an issue uh, about not only that, but about the Lakers. But the fact that we're agreeing on the fact that Adrian was right about a playoff prediction. <laughs> I know I only slept like four hours last night, but I don't feel very good. Like I'm... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty funny because I missed almost every single prediction uh, and for the play-in games. But outside of the Knicks Atlanta series, I've been almost perfect so far in terms of predicting the playoffs to this point. So fingers crossed I keep it up. <laughs> Cause I'd like I'd like my predictions to stay in. I I mean, I think you had the the Lakers coming out of this one. So I'd I'd like you I don't know if you actually ended up picking it or no, I had you... Phoenix. You had Phoenix, so I, I had mean, Phoenix and six. So, <laughs> uh, and I and I said that the the winner of this series was going to the NBA Finals, and um, I I definitely still still believe that um, because the Suns have been phenomenal. Um, the Lakers, when they've been on, have been phenomenal, um, and I just I see them coming coming out of the West either way. Um, but the last thing I, I want to talk about before we move off of this game is, is real quick. We don't have to get super into this because we definitely could. Um, oh, this will be Lakers, an off-season topic for sure. But let, let's just but touch just, on it. Just touch on it. Just just touch on it. This is this series shaping out the way it has LeBron's performance last night uh, and in his age um, and and all of those things considered. If the Lakers don't pull this series out and they don't. You know, 
with, go advance late into the playoffs. LeBron's chase for for Jordan's legacy um, is pretty much finished. It's not altogether finished. I, I, I still believe LeBron can play at a pretty high level uh, for a few more years, but a ring this year would be pretty um, pretty significant in, in in that comparison in that chase. Um, that he even admitted when he won his third ring that he was he was kind of after. Um, do y'all think that's a fair assessment? Do y'all think he's out out of that that chase anyway? Uh, where do y'all kind of see that in perspective after we saw his performance last night? I'll say that given how we look at legacy, we don't think about a lot of the lowlights as much unless they're really bad um and even then we almost separate them from a career the jordan has the huge benefit of most people wash away his return his second return when he went to the wizards a lot of people kind of forget about that because he kind of should i mean it doesn't really matter um jordan wasn't jordan then he was 40 years old by the end of it like um people are going to remember this one though if they manage to lose because what they'll see is LeBron is at the end of his prime. I mean, he's been past his prime, but people, we've had to deal with the media saying LeBron's been in his prime this whole time. Like since even last <laughs> year, people's like, man, LeBron's prime has been since like 2010. It's like, no, it ended in like 2016. It's just, he's managed to still be one of the best players in the league. If not the best. What it does though, is it lines up as LeBron is trying to put the fat last few chisels into etching his name into history. If he loses in the first round with somebody who coming into the season is considered a top five, top 10 player in the league as his teammate, regardless of health, that's not how people are probably going to remember it. That's how Laker fans are going to remember it. But people are going to remember they had Anthony Davis on his team. And if you lose in the first round to Chris Paul, like I, I love Chris Paul. We love Chris Paul on this podcast. But if you lose to an injured Chris Paul, I don't. Th- I don't think. I think it's over. Even if he comes back and wins two championships and gets to six, I think people are going to look at these lowlights too much. And the game, like the first half last last night, you're going to see people poke it and stuff like that. The the Mavericks series. Too many times has he fallen not short, but a mile short at times, and that's coming from the ultimate LeBron hater, yes, but I still respect that man to, as a player as so much. He's the clear number two of all time, but I think his chase for Jordan, if he could pull out these last two games, sure, but if he loses in the first round of the NBA playoffs, I think it might be over. Yeah, I was the one who posed this question because I'm of a very similar ilk to Jonah. Um, I think should he lose the next game or not necessarily he, but the Lakers and consequently, consequently LeBron. Um, I think that will kind of be the, the door closing on, on LeBron's chase for Jordan, because I think what, as we followed LeBron's career, the whole hype of him in high school, you know, moving forward, being, immediately awesome just fantastic as an NBA player Uh, but not really getting to the finals for the first 
almost 10 years of his career. Um, then the decision that a lot of people didn't like. Um, then following the decision, n- losing to the Mavericks, which was pretty much just Dirk Nowitzki and a couple of old heads that were um, playing well. That That's a bad, bad uh, taint on his legacy. And then we've seen him try to uh, repair that and, and build beyond that since 2011. And he's done so very well. Like he's done an incredible job, you know, kind of restoring this chase towards Jordan. But you lose like you did in 2011 to the Mavericks and you lose like you do now. I mean, I, I think it was at 36 when Jordan won his last ring. I could be wrong about that, but I think it was either 35 or 36 is how old Jordan was, was when he learned, when he won his last ring. Um, it, 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 it'll just be, it'll be one of those things where I think a lot of people will consider this run towards Michael Jordan's legacy finished. I just kind of think that's what it is. And I, I think the key, and I won't get too into it, because I, I, I would love to debate and get into some of the, the, the nuances, because I, I think one of the points that a lot of people bring up about Jordan is, you know, hey, he he barely made it out of the first round, or he didn't even make it out of the first round until he had Pippen. You know, that's always the argument that's brought up. But I think the key difference, and not hanging on that, is that Jordan got that out early, and he hit his dominant prime, and was amazing he didn't have any blemishes once he hit his stride lebron has had a couple of those blemishes right the the really just one i guess at this point if you're going to count that is that series against the mavericks and if he has another in a year where the lakers could get to the nba finals and even be champions if they play to the best of their ability i think we all still believe that but to not make that happen whether ad is hurt or not we needed one game from LeBron. We needed that game five from LeBron and we absolutely didn't get it. And you're right, Jonah, people are going to remember that if he doesn't move forward. And even if he gets that fifth ring, um, I don't think if he, I, th- I still think if they don't make it this year, he he can only get to five. But um, I, I I think while I have some bias leaning the other way, I, I think y'all are, y'all are ultimately right um, in some aspects on that one. Um but let's move off to the Lakers. Let's get off of, of LeBron and Jordan and the, the heap of disappointment that I have experienced in the past 24 hours. Um, and let's and let move Jonah... on to the 24 hours of this, of, of I'm about to say, that Jonah's had. I'm about to say, uh, let's get to Jonah's, Jonah's worries uh, and troubles. Um, not for the first round because the 76ers are going to advance. They haven't yet, but they're going to. Um, but Embiid is out uh, for an indeterminate amount of time day to day with a partial meniscus tear. Jonah, what does this mean for the rest of this playoffs? Can the 76ers still get to the championship or is this, you know, blood in the water? Oh, it's over. I mean, like, (laughs) let's let's be real. It's, it's, it has been the whole thing. Can Joel Embiid stay healthy? No, he cannot. We knew that. Um, it was only kind of a matter of time. I hate to be a pessimistic kind of fan, but I mean, hey, I just was so. <laughs> hey, we're a Sixers fan. Uh, we're the worst. Um, 
if we're not dumping things on you, we're throwing batteries at Santa. Um, that's that's what Sixers fans are. But what it is is it's just even if he comes back, he's not going to be a hundred percent. This team will live and die by what can Joel Embiid carry this team to, and I don't mean that that nobody else matters because I still think I mentioned it before. The 76ers have the best man-to-man defense in the entire NBA this year. No one can match up individually, especially on the wings, like the 76ers can. But Joel Embiid, if he's not 100%, they're not making it that far. Because they are lucky, I would say, that no matter what happens, they don't have to deal with you know the Nets or the Bucks in the second round. But even if they do that, the Nets and the Bucks look so good. If they get past the second round, I think it could be if Joel isn't hundred percent by the conference finals, saying they make it there because it could be a dangerous road there. Even with you know, if we have Trey Young pulling all over the place, there's a chance. Atlanta looks really good. I, I think and we're going to get to that. Atlanta looks good. Yeah, they do. They do, and we can get to that in a minute. We talked about it before. Nate McMillan is going to coach his butt off. Um, and I'm I'm worried about that series if Joel Embiid's not healthy because yes you can defend your butt off all day but you got to score and I genuinely think Ben Simmons could score thirty a game if he really wanted to but he doesn't he just doesn't really want to um it, it's gonna be hard and I kind I see them making it to the conference finals and I kind of see them getting their butt handed to them. And if they make it, because this is an amazing team. It really, it's a very well-constructed team considering what last year was. I mean, especially considering that, because they were not pieced together like the Nets. Literally just grabbed whatever they could figure out and like, we'll put it there and we have three superstars, we'll figure it out. The 76ers were very thoughtfully constructed with shooters and intricate trades and pieces here and there, free agency. Without Joel Embiid, they aren't making it to the finals. And I genuinely don't think with him being 100%, which at partially torn meniscus, he won't be. They are not making it past the third round if they even make it out of the second. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna follow that up with, I agree 100%. Um, much like the Lakers with Anthony Davis, the 76ers go where Joel Embiid takes them. Um, and I... I knew coming into the Washington series that Ben Simmons was going to shut down whatever Russell Westbrook or Bradley Beal was going to try and do. Um, That was expected. They should have, I I expected them to win this series, Um, even had them in a gentleman's sweep, which I think is going to be the case. But I just, I'm worried, not, not just for the conference finals. I'm worried about the second round. I mean, Atlanta genuinely looks really good. They have a extremely deep team. Um, and if Joel Embiid's not on the court, I'm not saying that Clint Capella is some offensive monstrosity, but Clint Capella is good enough that he can dominate the inside um, without Joel Embiid there. And John Collins is also very, very, very good. So I, I am worried <laughs> about that team just making it past the second round without Joel Embiid personally. I, I think it depends on how, how much Embiid is out. Um, but to, to piggyback 
off of your your Atlanta take, I think what's impressed me so much about the Hawks um, is how they've played defensively against the Knicks. They have absolutely shut down Julius Randle. And yes, it's Randle's first playoff experience. You know, he's not a seasoned playoff veteran that would figure things out a little bit quicker. Um, But Clint Capella has been incredible defensively. Um, he's been, he's been Rudy Gobert-esque, maybe not that quite that level, but he's been that presence inside. Um, and the coaching of Nate McMillan has set that team up to where they're exploiting teams that makes teams weakness offensively. And that's why they're up three, one. Yes. Trey Young has performed well. Um, you know, that team has been flowing offensively too, but going up against a team like the Sixers that is going to defend Atlanta extremely, extremely well. If Atlanta can, can be coached to, to match that, um, especially without Embiid uh, and, and a Sixers team that is not, you know, they're not terrible, but they're not the best team offensively. That's what would, would worry me more than, you know, Trey Young dropping 40 or 50 on me, because I think that's not as likely to happen if Ben Simmons is, is having to task him. Uh, but before we move off of the the 76ers, I did want to ask you, Jonah, um, obviously a meniscus tear you to be very careful with. Um, do you want the 76ers to, you know, not rush him back, but get him back as quick as possible? Or do you want to try to take, you know, the jazz approach, which is slowly roll him back, maybe even rest him for a game more than he needs to? Um, do you, you know, where, where are you on that as, as the Sixers fan, who's worried about your team's chances moving forward? Oh no, he, they have to rest him. Um, I would rest him for the entire Hawks series. And if you lose, you lose because here's my, here's my idea behind that is that if you can't beat the Hawks without Joel Embiid, as good as the Hawks have looked, <laughs> the Hawks, if you You're can't not beat the Bucks or Nets. <laughs> No, you can't. If you can't beat the Hawks without Joel Embiid, he needs to be 100%. You know, if that game goes seven games, if that series goes seven games or whatever, okay. But like, you need these guys that kind of need playoff experience too. You need some of these, you know, Seth Curry has not gotten a significant amount. You need some of these guys that just to, to step up. Because in order to win the championship, which is what it's all about, you need them to be able to carry the team too. It can't be all on JoJo. And so basically, my thing is, go ahead, sit him. Sit him until the fi- the conference finals. And if you don't make the conference finals, you weren't going to win the championship. Yep. And it's not about making the conference finals. No one gives a damn about making the conference finals. Ask the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm sorry, Adrian. But like, <laughs> I, I agree. No one, no one cares. No one ever remembers it except for the fans of that team. And that's cool. But Sixers fans suffered so much for the reason of ma- of winning a championship off of, you know, tanking this, that, and the other. And no one is ever going to remember or care if they made the conference finals. Because honestly, making the conference finals this year wouldn't be as impressive as losing game seven to Kawhi Leonard when they went on with the championship. It just wouldn't be. Um, because I genuinely think they might have won the championship if that you know buzzer beater didn't go in. It's it's so yeah. In short, yes, I think they should sit Joel Embiid. 
don't bother bringing him back because easing him back is not going to do a damn thing. As we have seen in the past, he sat for two months and then he got injured almost automatically. So it doesn't matter as long as you sit. He's injury prone. You need this to heal. And my worry is that that's not near long enough. You probably need a month or two. And that's why I'm so pessimistic about this idea. But, yeah, sit him for Atlanta. Fair, fair enough. Um, swinging it back uh, to the, the other conference, um, because I wanted to be not pessimistic, but I wanted to be able to clown uh, the Clippers on this podcast today. Uh, because for a second there, it looked like they were about to get swept or gentlemen swept. Um, but that Mavs Clippers series is quietly turned into one of the better series of the playoffs. Um, it's 2-2 heading into the game tonight. Um, and like I said, it was nearly going to be for a short period 3-0 Mavs because the Mavs and Luka were up by what, like 18 in the first quarter of game three? And it the Clippers look bad, um, but dare I say it, give credit to Paul George in game three for turning things around for that team. Um, and now it's truly uh, anybody's series. It's weird how uh, the away team has won all the games in this series. And now we're going back to LA uh, for, for game five. Um, I still think, the uh, the Mavs have a shot, but now after the past two games, I I, th- I think the Clips are going to be the ones that uh, advance here. What what have you all kind of been thinking or seeing from that series? Well, I I agree. I think the Clips are probably going to pull this out. And if I'm being honest, this series has played out the way I was kind of hoping it would, um, because. The Clippers needed to be challenged if they were going to, in, in the first round, if they were going to make a significant playoff run, in my opinion. Um, they needed to be challenged in the first round, and either they were going to fold like they did last year, or they were going to figure it out. Um, now, it's we're not at the point where they figured it out completely. I mean, it's still 2-2. Um, and, and the two games that the Clippers have won, Luca has played terribly. So Luka's been hurt. Yeah. And so you're going up against a Mavericks team that is pretty, it's, it's missing the only thing that drives it. Um, because the Mavs are another team where it, they literally go where Luca takes them. Uh, they are a one man centric team in terms of are they going to make it far in the playoffs or not and if Luca doesn't show up I mean he's hitting what like 46 percent on his free throws um terrible yeah it's the Clippers should win if if he's playing at that level but if he's playing at the level he played at the first two games then the Mavericks can win and watching this Utah Memphis series I'm pretty confident in either the Clippers or the Mavericks taking it over the um, Jazz in the next series based on what I've seen up to this point. I really like this series. I think it could probably go – I think it's probably going to go seven. Um, personally, it kind of depends on Luka's health. But if Luka's healthy, I don't see him – I don't see the Mavs losing four straight. So – 
I, I'm absolutely with you there. And I, and I think it's becoming evident, like you said, um, and it, if you feel differently, Jonah, then correct us. But I, I think the winner of that series, the Mavs Clippers, um, and the winner of the Suns Lakers, that's who's going to be um, in our Western Conference final. Now, Denver has at times looked amazing, at times not. I think they still got a shot, and Damian Lillard, if he makes it, is always going to be dangerous. Um, but you're right. I don't trust this Jazz team a, a, a damn bit. I didn't truly, I don't think many people did before their series. Um, and now the Grizzlies, um, you know, credit to them, but the Grizzlies are kind of giving them some trouble. I know it's only three, one, but the Grizzlies have really made them work for it in the first round. Um, and the Grizzlies aren't a good basketball team when it's, when it's all said and done, they've got great players, but they just aren't there yet. Um, they're just so, young. They're, they're inexperienced. They're, exactly. they're, they're fighting without knowing what they're fighting for. Um, John, John Morant knows what he's fighting for because that man just sees blood in his eyes all the time. But like, like you said, they're just too young. Their, their lineup, the lineups that they're running are, are, are younger per on average than the OKC Thunders lineups that they were running this year. That's how young this Grizzlies team is. I didn't actually know that um, until someone else brought it up to me, but the Grizzlies team is younger than the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are literally all like 25 and under. That's mind-blowing. Yeah, no, and I I don't know. I'm I'm fascinated because I'm with you guys. I've doubted the Jazz all season. But at the same time, they are an excellent team, and I think what we haven't seen is them at the highest gear because – from I've watched several Jazz games, primarily against the Hornets. I watched them a couple, both both Hornets games against the Jazz, and what was so fascinating was that the Jazz kind of looked like this until the fourth quarter, and they hit eight threes in a row, and then all of a sudden it was a twenty point game. We haven't seen that Jazz really at all, and I I don't think we've seen the highest caliber of Jazz yet. And the problem with the Clips and the Mavericks is they both are the most inconsistent teams, it seems, in the entire NBA because they are both <laughs> could beat anybody on any night and could both lose by 40 to any other team in the NBA. And it's so baffling because that's what basketball is. I mean, Turner was talking about it. The Mavs are kind of slapping the Clippers around a little bit. Clippers end up winning in a blowout. That happens in the NBA. But I've never seen two teams just so embarrassingly inconsistent. And it's frustrating to watch because they both should be title contenders. I wouldn't trust either one of them, honestly, against the Jazz. And I, I'm putting it here, I could easily see them getting gentlemen swept. I'm not saying that will happen. But either one of those teams are so embarrassing um, when it comes to consistency because they are, like I said, their peak this is a kind of wide open West. It's, it's really nice because we haven't seen that in years. We love we parody. Do. Parody is so much. I love fun. parody so much until it becomes college basketball in which the parody becomes just the best teams are useless. Like that sucks. <laughs> like, you know, when the blue bloods don't even make the tournament. Okay. It's gone a little too far. Like that's, <laughs> you know, you know, that's, that's a little annoying, but like, I, I do love me some parody and the fact that, you know, the Jazz have struggled with the Grizzlies a bit, yet the dra the Jazz could easily whoop up on either one of these teams. 
I can also see the flip of that, which is crazy. Which it's is such a fantastic playoffs. And yeah, no, we can get into some of the other series, but I, I have no trust in either one of those teams. Actually, all three of them, when we're talking about the Jazz included, it's so confusing. I still expect the Clippers to pull it out. That's what I predicted. Even when they were 1-0 one, uh, one down, before they went 2-0 down, I still expected them to get it. Even at 2-0 down, I expected the Clippers to get it because I don't trust the Mavericks. <laughs> because Luka might be that next guy. I genuinely think he is. Yep. But yep. He's, he's not as good as Kawhi yet. Kawhi has that I'm going to win mentality, and we saw that the other night and I think we might see it tonight and I'm going to look like an idiot and that's great. But like, <laughs> Hey, <laughs> that's what podcasts are for. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, to, to your credit again, Adrian, I hate that this is me saying Adrian is right on this, on this podcast. Um, but it was weird because at the beginning of the NBA season, you were talking about how you thought this might be the year that we saw a true parody or the closest thing to parody between the East and the West that has been hyped up for years and years and years. Um, and then midseason, it looked like the exact opposite. And now we're in the playoffs and we have no idea which of like six teams are going to the finals in the West. And there are two, maybe three teams in the, in the East that are, that are, strong and they're probably better title contenders than anybody in the west um so it's been cool to finally see that um and i think that takes us to uh the second round uh, or at least what we know is going to be in the second round for now and the only series we truly know is going to be the bucks nets series it's the series we've wanted the whole time it's the one we hyped up weeks ago um the bucks swept the heat which was fantastic for them and their chances. Uh, the Nets did a gentleman sweep of the Celtics because Jason Tatum is Jason Tatum. Um, but this is hopefully going to be the series of the playoffs. Um, I expected it to be a phenomenal series. I still see the Bucks winning, but boy, have the Nets just looked absolutely phenomenal in the playoffs so far. And it doesn't really seem like they've been pushed to like try super hard yet you know you get that feeling where they're kind of just like coasting like they played well but it's like none of them had to been like screw you or winning yet and that's that's what's kind of scary the bucks have kind of done that screw you we're sweeping the heat version so we've seen some of that from the bucks i don't know if we've seen that from the nets yet and that might be what they're able to turn on against the bucks and that might be the difference maker in that series um, but what are y'all looking forward to most uh, in, in that second round matchup? Well, for me, I, I, I think you kind of touched on this. This is a final series in the second yeah, round. Exactly. <laughs> like this is a final series in the second round and you don't get that very often. That is really cool. Um, so, I want to, I want to go ahead. Going off that. No, just, I want you to keep going, but just something popped to the top of my head. You know what this reminds me of? UNC Kentucky 2017. Elite eight. Yeah. Like, shouldn't yes. matter. It's the championship game, though. It genuinely, I genuinely think this should be the championship game. And I'm, I, I, ooh, <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah. No, I, I, there's a couple times throughout the year, especially once you get to the NBA playoffs, where 
basketball is like at the forefront of your mind. It is the number one thing that you think about when you wake up in the morning. And it's what you're thinking about as you go to sleep at night because you're excited about a game or a series or something that's coming up. That's how I feel about this Nets-Buck series um, because I, I don't think we've seen a team that's been so randomly constructed with just star talent like we've seen this Nets team put together. But we also haven't seen a team that's come close for several years um, at this point now who has what could be the next best player in the NBA. Giannis might have already surpassed LeBron as the quote-unquote best player in the league right now. Um, some could argue Steph, some could argue KD. That's not an argument we'll get into. Um, but Giannis is, is in that top five, top three discussion at least. And Chris Middleton has shown up this year. He looks like a bona fide number two. And Drew Holiday, oh my God, I love myself. So Drew Holiday, um, he looks exceptional as well. And I, I do think that the loss of Dante DiVincenzo is going to hurt the Bucs. Um, that's an extra defender that they can throw Harden or Kyrie's way that they're going to lose out on for this series and for the rest of the playoffs if they continue past this series. Um, but I the way the Bucks have been constructed, I mean, this is what the Jazz want to be is what the Bucks are. Um, it, it's a full team. It's a true team that has not only depth and capability outside of their stars, they actually have those stars in place. Um, and man, I, I, I'm just, I'm giddy for the, this series because this is going to be so, so, so much fun. Um, but you, you guys could talk about it as well. I could talk about how hyped I am and how excited I am for this series for days. No, and um, I think I'm hopping on the uh, Mina Kimes bandwagon and going full Nets. Um, of course, I'm rooting for my Sixers, but like if, if any other team's going to win it, I – what sucks is I love Giannis and I have loved Giannis literally since like he was drafted. I was like, this kid's going to be good. I didn't think he was going to be back to back. This good. <laughs> no, no, no. It's kind of like, I loved Steph coming out of college. I didn't think he was going to be a back to back MVP, but, and maybe the second best point guard ever, maybe the best point guard ever. Um, but uh, I, I, I am a, a, an agent of chaos. If you haven't noticed and when I, most people hated KD and the Warriors when they joined up. I liked them more whenever KD joined the Warriors. You know, whenever whenever the Harden went to the Nets, they became like my sub favorite team. Like I will always be the Sixers guy, but like, damn it, I want to see this horse crap team just show up and be bullies for no reason. And like, why? Because they said this works and they just slammed the best three at offensive players in the league together and said screw it let's see what happens that is what the nba is we just talked about it before it is reality tv for sports fans they are the reality tv show they are in brooklyn they have kevin durant james harden and kyrie irving two of the most interesting personalities in the league 
Can you imagine the shit show of them in the finals? I need it. I just desperately need it. And I think that's why I'm going full off nets. And the thing I'm looking forward to most other than the whole reality show. And it's what I'm looking forward to and what is what I want you guys to answer. Who the hell is taking the last shot on the nets? Because the games are going to be close. We haven't had this answer yet. We haven't come close to answering this question yet. And it was the first question every NBA fan posed when they saw these three names pop up on a roster. Who takes the last shot in game one, game two, game seven against the Milwaukee Bucks? What What's crazy before I give you my answer? No, no, no. Answer the question and then... Answer the then, question? Answer the question. So... I think I would want KD taking that last shot. We saw that. But who's going to? <laughs> Kyrie is absolutely taking that that first shot in the first close game. 10 million percent. I, I, I have no doubt that Kyrie is going to, to be a Kyrie and either hit it or clunk the crap out of that uh, shot. Um, but speaking of Kyrie, before you get to your answer, Adrian, I just want to say this Nets team has somehow not completely reversed, but like pretty significantly changed my opinion on Kyrie Irving. I did not particularly like him going into the year and he's still not my favorite, but for some reason, his existence on this weird atrocity beauty of a team and what he said and done this year has really turned things around for Kyrie. Um, and I, I think it almost makes me root for him, which is, which is kind of crazy to, to hear, but enough on that. I have Kyrie taking the, the last shot the first time it happens. We'll see whether it happens again, if he makes it or not, but Adrian, who, who's that, taking that last shot? I just wanted to stop in and say that, that, that's a perfect name for them. You talked about the atrocity and the beauty just name the Danny Brown up atrocity exhibition. Is the, is that is the Brooklyn Nets like that is and it's you know what it's a phenomenal album f- full of noises that scare and confuse you and that is the Brooklyn Nets and I love it good job Turner he <laughs> that that's one of his favorite albums so um yeah <laughs> so it's funny I don't have I think this this is how it will play out thirty seconds left. James Harden takes a step back three. If he makes it, that that's the game. If not, they have one more possession left. One more possession left. James Harden gives it up to whoever's open between Kyrie or Kate because the ball's going to be in Harden's hand. Um, and he's going to give the ball up to either KD or Kyrie, whoever gets open. My guess is KD is going to get open a lot more of the time because he's a lot bigger and he can catch the ball a lot higher up. Um if the ball is given to Kyrie Irving instead of James Harden, the ball is going up from Kyrie Irving's hands. <laughs> yeah. um, that's how it will play out, in my opinion. Um, I don't think there are chemistry issues per se, like some people think there will be chemistry issues. The one thing that I do want to point out in this series is the Nets were letting Jabari Parker like put buckets on their head and the final game of this Nets Celtic series. 
if Jabari Parker is putting buckets on, and this is the first quarter, this is when the game's still close and, and, and it's competitive. If Jabari Parker's putting buckets on your head, what's Giannis and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday going to do to you? Um, because if the Nets are struggling to stop one guy in Jason Tatum, or even one guy and a half with Jason Tatum and Jabari Parker, um, what are they going to do with much, much, much more difficult players to defend in Giannis, Chris, and Drew? Because you know on the other end of the court, Giannis, Chris, or not necessarily Chris as much, but Giannis and Drew can defend their ass off um, against the likes of KD, Harden, Kyrie. So I'm curious what you guys think. Can the, can the Nets defense realistically compete in a series that's going to be that challenging um, because the Bucs are that good of a team? I mean, we haven't, you haven't even talked about uh, Brian Forbes as, as part of that Bucks. Bryn, Bryn, Bryn Forbes. Bryn Forbes. You're going to go a full week and get a Bryn name Forbes. Right. The dude who scored more than Jimmy Butler in that, that Heat's Bucks series. They got to worry about him, too. So, I mean, I think it's fascinating. I think there's going to be a game where the the Nets put up like 145 or something, which is going to be incredible. Um, but it's just going to be pure basketball entertainment, and I think that's what we're looking forward to. But yeah, that's that's probably going to be be it for us for this episode because we're we're already nearing an hour. Uh, we're running short on time, uh, but there's definitely some more basketball news outside of the playoffs that we need to get to. Um, so we'll, we'll make this our playoff focus pod and we'll put out another pod, a little shorter one, uh, about the other big basketball news, uh, in the world today, uh, that we got dropped today. Um, but for now, uh, thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Twitter at flight underscore pod. Um, and until we release that second pod this week, y'all enjoy yourselves and enjoy some NBA basketball. Peace. See y'all.